journalist Ken O'Shea is an executive producer in RTE, but he's also a fairly impressive hobby swimmer. Now, when I say hobby, I may be understating it a bit because Ken is also the first man to ever swim from the Fastnet Rock to Crookhaven, having always harboured a dream of swimming up the channel between the Alderman's Rocks and Rock Island and walking up the steps of the pier into O'Sullivan's for a pint. He did just that and a lot more in his relatively recent sea swimming endeavours and he told me all about it on a Zoom call recently from his home in Dublin. So Ken, welcome to our From A to C podcast. Now before we get into the heavy duty swimming that you do these days, tell me a little bit about your first memories of swimming and how you started going way back in Cork in the early days. Uh, hi, thanks for having me. Um, earliest memories of swimming, uh, basically when I was about four, my uh, dad bought a tiny little caravan and put it on the back of the car and then he had to work out where we were going to go and his friend told him about this amazing place called Bardy Cove where uh, there were sand dunes and you could just basically pull in off the road and put your caravan wherever you like as long as it kept the place tidy. Uh, and he liked the sound of that. Uh, so we basically all piled into the car and uh, and ended up in Bardicove and we loved it. And we ended up spending all our childhood summers there uh, in a small little caravan, no running water, no electricity, uh, no anything. Uh, my mom looking after uh, all of us. And of course, you're right next to the Shrewl, as they call it, Bardicove, which is this amazing tidal stream, which is great for swimming. Bardicove Beach itself, which is I don't think there's a better beach in Ireland, but I'm biased. And luckily, the the hotel there had a tiny little swimming pool, a heated swimming pool, uh, which came in handy during those long, wet summers of the 70s and 80s. So basically, all you could really do down there was was go swimming. And we all kind of took to it from an early age, and we loved it, and we spent all day every day in the water. And that kind of led then to you know, up in Cork in the winter, uh, swimming with, not at any kind of serious level, but swimming with clubs like Dolphin and, and City of Cork. Uh, and where, I always where, liked it. Where in Cork are you from, Ken? Uh, Friar Street, which is just off Barrack Street. So what was your local pool then? Douglas. Douglas. Not a bad little pool. Yeah. I think I swam there yeah. around the same time. So I know as well. And did you progress yeah. into the big fancy pants one over... In Bishopstown at any stage? No, no, we kind of stayed in Douglas. I suppose, like an awful lot of people at that age, like you, you get mad into swimming and you, you're 11 and 12 and you're competitive and you're doing galas and then you kind of hit 13, 14 and you're looking around and you're wondering why all these 11 and 12 year olds are passing you out. And they're the ones who are really dedicated and they're, you know, hitting the early mornings and all of that. So, you know, an awful lot of people drop out of swimming as when they hit their teens, you know, from a competitive point of view. Uh, and you have to be really dedicated to stick with it. So that was it. I mean, I was always, you know, a competent swimmer and and loved the water uh, and always enjoyed it. But, you know, coming back into it later in life, I suppose for me, uh, it was the classic, you know, you've hit uh, 40, early 40s, you know, maybe you're kind of falling out of love with the gym, not doing a lot of exercise. Football isn't really an option at that point anymore. And uh, we actually moved to Sitges in Spain for a few months, uh, myself and my wife, when we had our second child. She was on maturity and I had some holidays to take and rode there for four months. 
And uh, my brother-in-law, Greg O'Connor, who's from Belgooli, um, he was after getting big into triathlons and, you know, he was a really fit guy. And they came over to visit us and I was suffering from some fairly un unfavorable comparisons uh, with uh, how active and fit Greg was and what are you doing about it, just slob, basically. So uh, one day we went for a swim uh, in Sitges and, uh, you know, Greg said, come on, we'll, we'll give it a go. So I went in with him and he said, right, see that point over there? There was a little lighthouse in the... Uh, on the edge of the on the edge of the town, he said, "We'll swim over to that." And I was looking at it, going, "This guy's insane. We can't swim that far. That's going to be really dangerous." You know, you know how hard it is to judge distances in water, and you know I wasn't feeling particularly fit at the time and stuff. And he said, "Look, come on, we'll just give it a go." Uh, so off we went anyway. Swam over to the uh, to the lighthouse and stopped, and I said. Uh, I can't believe I just won that far. And he said, come on, we'll race back. And we raced back. And in fairness to Greg at the time, he was kind of just starting out with the swimming part of the triathlon. And I shot back uh, and I realized, you know, I was a bit out of breath, but I kind of realized, you know, maybe there is one thing I'm good at, you know, because if I can beat this guy with how fit he is, then, you know, maybe I have a reasonable technique uh, and that maybe I could work on it. So I could just kind of decided that, swimming might be the thing for me uh kind of rekindled the childhood love affair and i just started swimming and then started looking for kind of shorter events the first one actually for me was the lee swim which is an amazing event for anybody to do it highly recommend it you know and again that's quite intimidating you know you're swimming with about 2k down the river back up at the end you know i was kind of wondering where, where does that go, go from to ken so it goes from the Irish Distillers Building, which is kind of basically up at the, the Mercy Hospital end, uh, just at the bottom of Blarney Street there. Uh, and it goes all the way down to the Port of Cork sign and then turns right and goes back up river. They put the hard part at the end and you go back up river for about 200 metres and you end up at the Clayton. I think it's about 1.8 or something like that, which to me at the time seemed like, geez, that's a long way, you know. Uh, and, and it is, you know, if you're starting out. Uh, and I gave that a go and loved it, really enjoyed it. It's a super event and just kind of took it from there, you know, and started looking at, could I go a bit further? Could I go a bit further? And, you know, kind of stepped it up. I mean, the next, I did kind of a lot of two and three K stuff. I live in Dublin, up here. And then I thought, could I go a bit longer? And I started targeting the Galway Bay Swim which again is, that's an amazing event. Uh, it's run by uh, uh, the family of Francis Thornton, who was a well-known uh, nurse in a cancer center under who unfortunately herself died from cancer. And they set up this, this swim in, in her memory um, and all her family are like, very sporty, her kids. And that's a superb event. That's about 14K from uh, Clare over the, a beach just below Kimbara over to Salton and Galway. And that that's a big that's a big step up. It was did a very big do, step up for me. Like, did you know? do a lot of training for that one, or were you building it up slowly, seven, eight, nine, ten k's before you did that, or how did you get? Um, the everybody has their own approach, but there's some kind of basic rules at the top. Like, I would say I'm a classic example of uh, a very ordinary uh, swimmer coming to it later in life. Uh, and trying to push the distances uh, and 
you know, I, I don't have a particularly good technique. I'm not particularly fast. I swim at the same pace the whole time. But if you follow kind of very basic programs, you can actually get there. You know, anything from, you know, a 2K to a 5 to a 10 to a 14, 15K, like the Galway Bay Swim is, there's some very basic rules of thumb. Like you need a, a baseline fitness level. Like you should really, really be swimming at least three times a week if you're if you've got an event in mind. I mean that's 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 an absolute minimum. And then what the kind of distance people say is that you can swim in one day what you swim in one week. Uh, but that. As the distances go higher, the number of weeks in which you have to swim that distance has to increase. Do you understand me? It's kind of like marathons, marathon running. Like if you if you're targeting, we'll say a two k race, then you should be swimming, you know, two k every week for five or six weeks, and you'll be fine. I mean, ideally, you're doing you know one k four times a week, so you're doing a little bit more. If you want to do a five k, then you're looking at maybe three months of minimum five k a week. If you want to do a 10K, you're probably looking at more like five months, minimum 10K a week, and so on. So it, it kind of goes up on a curve. So mm. if you're looking at something like the Galway Bay Swim, which is part of the Irish Triple Crown of Swims, you know, so that's the, what are they again? It's the Galway Bay Swim, the Fastnet to Baltimore, and the North Channel. So if you're looking at the Galway Bay, and you, you really want to be training for 15K, then assuming you've got a baseline level of fitness, so you've been doing events and training for, we'd say, two years or so, uh, you should then be looking to hit in the sort of four or five months before the event, you should be swimming 15K a week for those four or five months. And if okay. you can do that... Big commitment time-wise, isn't it? It is a big commitment. And not, not everybody has access, we'd say, to a pool. If you're training over winter, it's difficult... Mm -hmm. You know, it's for some people to get to pools are obviously quite well served there in Dublin. I mean, UCD pool is not too far from us, and that's where I train. That's a 50-meter pool, uh, and that's really handy. But, you know, if you can, if you can make it, then that's really the sort of commitment that you're talking about, you know. But, then, but I would stress that if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's not a question, <laughs> it's not a question so much of, you know... Um, are you the best swimmer in the world? It's it, That's not what it's about. At, at my level, you know, it's not about that. It's more about putting Endurance. down those foundations, you know, finding a stroke that works. I mean, you obviously have to have a reasonable technique uh, because if you don't, you're going to get injuries or you're going to expend a lot of energy fighting with the water as opposed to, you know, we all want to swim easy. Uh, so if you've got a reasonable technique and I took, I took some lessons, even though I had a decent swim, but I got a stroke. I got some one-to-one -one lessons when I was kind of got into this just to fix some very basic things that I was doing wrong. I'd recommend that for anybody, but you know, if I can do it, anybody can do it. But the other question I'd often have, because, you know, my max now would be three K really. And I'm not sure I'd have any interest in doing anything bigger than that. And that's at the point where boredom starts to kick in. So what do you do when you're in the water and you're four hours into it and everything, mm. you know, you know, you don't really have time to look and see the scenery in fairness, if you're doing a, a time related swim and mm. what you're looking at is pretty much not changing. It's water, it's dark, it's the same level of probably um, wave action for the last hour. 
So like, how do you keep focused or do you go into a kind of a mindfulness, you know, frame of mind whereby you're in a kind of a meditation zone? Yeah, like I suppose there's two different things. There's the training and then there's when you're on a big swim. So from the training point of view, that can be quite tedious uh, and particularly you know, for something like Galway Bay or later swims that I did, which we might discuss in a while, which were a bit longer and were kind of you know, a bit more scary. <laughs> you know, we, I was doing, you could be in the pool or the sea uh, for, you know, 10 hours a week, 12 hours a week. Uh, you know, you're trying to lay down those 5K, 6K, 7K blocks uh, of, like, I mean, that's one other thing I should have mentioned with the, how do I do a 14 or 15K? You definitely, in in the few weeks before your event, you would definitely want to be doing at least half of whatever distance it is you're looking to do. So if you're looking to do a 10K swim in three weeks' time, you really want to do a 5K swim in similar conditions. And that will give you great confidence and will show you that, well, I did that as a training swim. You're going to push harder on the day so you can do the 10. So that that's good advice that I got. Whatever distance you're going for, always do a half that distance in, say, three weeks before the event. In terms of, like, those training blocks and all those kind of long, dark, lonely hours that you spend in the water, whether it's the sea or or the pool. And for me, in the winter, it's the pool. Uh, you know, my wife actually bought me these kind of waterproof iPods, earphones, and I was using them. One, You know, took them into the pool and used them. And do you know what? After uh, a couple of laps, I took it out, I realized... The, the, when you're swimming it's the only place in the world when you can't be reached you can't be bothered you're alone with your own thoughts and I kind of find it very uh, meditative uh, and very uh, useful in kind of untangling all of those things that are in your head all the time you know whether it's like the mundane you know domestic duties or stuff that's going on in work or, or anything at all and I'm never really bored you know when I'm swimming um, and you know, I suppose I'm, you know, I'm lucky that way. And I have friends who also train for long distances. They must have their iPods in. They got to be listening to podcasts or music or whatever. So it's whatever works for you. But I'm certainly never bored from swimming. And then when you get into a big swim, that's a completely different world. Particularly the ones I do tend to be right out in the middle of the ocean and stuff. And you've got a lot more. To, <laughs> you've got a lot more to be worrying about. Uh, than getting bored you know and one of those things is jellyfish i presume so are you a wetsuit man or no wetsuit man um i'm very happy to swim without a wetsuit but i tend to in in irish conditions yeah i'll wear a wetsuit uh i find that apart from the kind of obviously the warmth and the comfort i find there's an awful lot of security in it that i'm not worried about you know oh god i'm gonna sink like a stone here at some point you know uh, and jellyfish, you know, touch wood. I've been kind of lucky. I've obviously had a few stings, but I've never had anything really nasty. Some of my friends, particularly with the the lion's mane, have had bad experiences, you know. But they, they don't really worry me. So tell me now about the one, the one big one I want to talk to you about. And you're sitting there in front of a lovely uh, photograph of the Fastness Rock. And I believe you were the first man to ever swim from the fastnet into O'Sullivan's bar. 
in Crookhaven. So tell us a little bit about that. And I know it was a few years ago, but it was uh, quite a task. And I think one of the reasons being it lasted a lot longer than you were anticipating. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, that was for me, I guess that was something that caught my imagination, you know, obviously <clears throat> kind of half growing up down in Bardicove. At that point, they still had the old light. They hadn't changed to the LEDs. So, I mean, you'll obviously remember, you know, you could be 30 miles away from the thing and it would be lighting up your bedroom every few seconds. You know, the fastenets of obviously an icon. And after I did Galway Bay, I suppose, I kind of, it gave me a lot of confidence to kind of think that, you know, maybe even go further here or I, I might be reasonably good at this. And I was at the fast of my head. And then I heard about these guys, um, you know, um, who started up this fastnet to Baltimore swim. Uh, and you know, it's obviously we're talking about like people like Steve Redman and, and uh, Noel Brown here who, you know, pioneered this. Uh, and Steve's obviously a legend, you know, and he's a hero to anybody who goes in the sea. So I said, oh, fastnet to Baltimore. So I got in touch with them and I basically said, look, lads, uh, what you're doing is amazing. I'd really love to swim in from the fastnet. However, Baltimore is a lovely place, but it doesn't really mean anything to me because I never really spent any time there. But Crookhaven is, you know, somewhere that I'd kind of like to swim in from. And I measured it on Google Maps. And as the crow flies, it's about from Crookhaven or from fastnet to the edge of Crookhaven Harbour, the Alderman Rocks there. And then, you know, you turn left and go up to Sullivan's. You know, on paper, it was about, I think it was about 13K. I thought, well, I swam that before. No, I know you don't swim in a straight line, but I thought it's feasible. And I contacted them and I said, how about fastening to Crookhaven? Would you do that? And they they were a bit bamboozled because nobody had ever done it before. And I'm stressing you now at this point that it's not because of difficulty or any of those guys would, you know, they'd do it no problem. It's just nobody had thought of it. You know, people had gone fastening to Skull, I think, but just not Crookhaven. So they said, um, we'll have a look, see if it, how the tides look, see if, try and work it out. They went off and did a few months work talking to local fishermen, plotting tides, etc. And they came back and they said, it's feasible uh, if it's done on the right tide uh, and we're willing to give it a go if you want. So I said, great. So I started training for that. So August, I think it's five years ago now, uh, basically, um, went down and went out with the lads, jumped off the boat at Fastnet in really weird conditions. It was like just typical West Cork fog to the floor, which from a kind of a sea conditions point of view was good because fog means no wind and, you know, the sea was quite calm. But like going out in the boat, we couldn't see the Fastnet until we were like 50 metres away from it. So... He obviously, the skipper had it on radar and he said, right, we're coming up, start getting ready, Ken. And I'm like, coming up, I can't see anything. He said, the fastness. He said, it's just over there. We said, we can't, we take your word for it, we cannot see the thing, you know. And he said, well, we're nearly crashing into it. I can't really get any closer. We said, we're not seeing the thing. And literally out of the fog, towering over us, we were right at the rock underneath it, was the fastness. So, uh, yeah, basically jumped off the boat. Um, I don't mind saying that I had an existential moment at that point because 
you know, anybody who knows the fast and it knows how impressive it is. And they also know, like, it's in very deep water. That's about mm -hmm. 350 meters deep, you know. It just comes up as a spike. A pretty impetuous history to it, too. Yes, it's, it's an incredible place. Uh, and that feeling, you know, like, I got really close to it. So I was kind of swimming over a bit of reef. And then I'm looking down and this is the first few strokes and I look down and it just plunges into the abyss mm -hmm. and you can feel the depth. You can feel the movement of the water. Like, you know, uh, it was, to be honest, it was about touch and go for the first 20 seconds mm -hmm. where I was kind of thinking, what am I after <laughs> taking mm -hmm. on here? I was terrified. And I decided something I never do. I decided, right, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to close my eyes and I'll open them when I breathe so I can see the both. You know, because obviously you're following the boat on these swims. You have no clue where you are. Mm. Uh, and I just did that for a while until I kind of calmed down a small bit and then it was fine. And your heart was probably thumping then. So with that reaction, yeah. you were using a lot more oxygen. So yes. Yeah, like, oh, yes. I needed to. Of course, there was an awful lot of wildlife around as well because it's a big seal colony. There was a lot of dolphins around. I was expecting something to, you know, come up and uh, give me a little nip. So yeah, I kind of had to calm myself down. But the lads, you know, that you know, Noel was my uh, was my uh, kind of wingman on the day, and you know, bottle chucker and stuff. And the lads, they're so experienced and they're so good that they've seen all this before, you know. And they they kind of got me through it. But like in terms of of a swim, then, like as I said, it was supposed to be, you know, I was budgeting for about sixteen, seventeen k. You know, because you're not going to swim in a straight line. And they had this plan which basically involved, everybody knows that the, the Irish Sea, when the tide comes in, it fills up to Dublin. When the tide goes out, it empties out to Cork. So it's, they were uh, bringing me, we actually started swimming towards Cape Clare and they were expecting on on an, on a, an ebbing tide and they were expecting the tide to turn. So I'd have kind of like slack water for a few hours where I could start heading for Crook. And then as the tide was going out, that it would sweep me in to Crookhaven. They said, you were shoes in, Ken, no bother. Unfortunately, and again, this is purely a function of the fact that they hadn't done this before. Um, didn't work out like that. So uh, what should have been a sort of a maybe a 16, 17 K swim turned in and maybe six hours in the water turned into 22 and a half kilometers, eight and a half hours in the water. And like at uh, any and stage, did you start to panic that you were so far behind on time that you wouldn't make it? Or did you always feel like, I'm just going to keep going till I get there? You you have to, you kind of trust the program, basically, because what's happening is you're obviously you're feeding every half hour, right? So you're feeding like for, you know, lots of swimmers, they'll know this, but you're feeding on carbs, carb drinks. So like the general rule is... Carb, carb, electrolyte, carb, carb, electrolyte. So because you're going to get dehydrated, you're sweating a lot and you're losing liquids, even though you don't realize it. Um, so every half hour you're having a carb drink, then another carb drink, carb with electrolytes, carb drink, carb drink. So you're, it all breaks down into half hour chunks. And all you're really thinking about after a few hours is, where's my next feed? I'm starting to get really hungry. So you also, I suppose that was a quite quite a peculiar one because because we were in fog the whole time, the passage of time became irrelevant. There was no reference point. I could there wasn't like, 
oh, well, I've looked behind me, I can see the fastening is not very far away, I must be making progress, or mm-hmm. you look ahead, I'm starting to see land, you couldn't see a thing. In, in fact, sometimes I lost the boat because it was moving away from me and, and the visibility was so low, but they, they knew that they always came back. Uh, so I honestly had no real idea. And my, then my watch died. And you shouldn't have worn a watch. You should never wear a watch on a long swim like that because it starts messing with your head. You know, I so I didn't really know what was going on until a, like quite a weird episode towards the end because I kind of knew that you know, I should be seeing land by now or should mm. be getting towards the end, but I couldn't see anything. And I started getting a little bit cranky with the guys on the boat. And I'm saying to them, lads, how much further? Like, shouldn't I be there by now or nearly there? And they kept telling me, we're there, we're nearly there. It's just two more K, two more K. Mm. Of course, they realized now that they were doing that just to kind of encourage me through a bit of a low patch. But, you know, they kept telling me it's two K. I started to kind of, doubt them i'm thinking are these guys going around in circles <laughs> is this the wind up you know <laughs> like all sorts of stuff goes through your head uh and they you know i we stopped on about seven seven hours 15 or something and i said look lads i got it I'm, I'm starting to empty out here i'm you know i'm getting towards my limit you know are we nearly there yes we are ken it's just over there we are practically in crookhaven harbor and I said, I don't believe you. And they said, just over there is Alderman Rock. Just over there is Rock Island. We promise. But I'm in the fog. And the next thing, as as we're having this argument, there was a little gust of wind, just a whisk, and the fog just lifted itself up like something lifting their skirts. And I look over and see Rock Island Lighthouse. And I couldn't believe it's the first landmark or land I've seen all day. And I said, you know, ah, that's, you know, we actually are here, you know. Um, I think, you know, let's carry on. And, you know, of course, they were like, we told you so. But <clears throat> unfortunately, because the timings had gone wrong, instead of like shooting into Crook Harbour on a filling tide, uh, we'd missed it. The tide is now coming out. That's obviously, you know, our harbour, the water can only go one way. So instead of like a nice leisurely swim up the harbour, which I do all the time and will do in 20 minutes, no problem. I'm swimming up against the outgoing tide. Uh, so I was at that for about an hour and a quarter. And I actually basically had to go right over by the rocks on the Crookhaven side. And I was practically pulling myself up by the seaweed, you know. Mm. Uh, but, you know, got there in the end, walked up the steps, uh, in Crookhaven and Dermot Sullivan is standing there at the top of the steps and he goes, what did you do that for, you idiot? <laughs> and me, thank you, Kenneth. Yeah, it was cool. I enjoyed it. It's, did did it take you a while to recover physically then from that for the next few days? Or Not remember? at all. Wow. Not at all. Really weird. Mm. Not at all. Um, I guess... And I mean, like I had trained property for it. It was longer than I expected. Uh, I guess that's the great thing about swimming is uh, it's all shapes and sizes and ages. Uh, and it's it's a no impact sport. As long as your stroke is reasonable and you're not going to injure your shoulders or whatever. You know, it's not like, you know, coming off a 10K or a 20K or a marathon where you can't walk for three weeks and stuff. You know, it's not really like that. Uh, also, I'd say my stroke is kind of basic, but decent. So I always go at the same speed and I'm not kind of, you know, 
hurt myself or giving myself niggling injuries with you know bad technique because that's that's the thing that'll get you you know so yeah, actually no I felt fine after that you know gave me a taste for more I mean I did another one last summer which was completely different to the fastnet so I can tell you about that that one if you like <laughs> you fire ahead was that in Ireland it was, yeah. So after the fastening thing, and then kind of going, oh, well, I like lighthouses. I wonder what else I could do, you know, because I'm not into those organized events. They're great, they're great people and all of that. But the Galway Bay swim, I mean, I enjoyed it. But, you know, these kind of mass start, you got to raise X amount of money for charity or whatever. I've done a few of those and don't want to be asked to be for money. I prefer, just prefer to do my own thing. Um, so, I was down with Clina, uh down at Dursey and I was kind of looking out at uh, Bull Rock, Bull Rock <laughs> and kind of thinking, oh. <laughs> I wonder is anybody. So I started asking around and nobody had swam in from there. So I said, OK. Um, so when I started talking to um, kind of local skippers and stuff like that, the RNLI, I do, you know, swims for them. I raise money for them and I do the swims. And they were all like, no, no, <laughs> I'm not taking you out there. They have this thing because it's a kind of a place where the Atlantic meets the Irish Sea. They have mm -hmm. this thing out there called turbidity. And that's where two big sort of tidal um, uh, phenomena meet each other and they start folding in and under. It's a notorious spot. You don't really get that in the fast. And the tidal sweep past going in and sweep past going out. But there you've got two tides meeting. It's, it's known as a nasty place. So quite a, a couple of skippers said, I'm not doing that. It's well, just not feasible. You know, it's not that it's not safe because, you know, you're not going to, you know, so you're unlikely to sort of sink or whatever. It's just they don't, even taking sort of tourists out there on boats and stuff is very tricky. So I then eventually found Paul O'Rourke, who's a great guy, Bantry Bay Tours. Uh, he's from Drummer League. Uh, and... I think when I approached him first, he was kind of like, who's this nitwit? Then I mentioned that, oh, well, I'm actually married to Kleena from Main Street. She goes, oh, I know her. Well, she's very nice, so maybe he's okay. What do you want? And I explained it to him. He's out there all the time, you know. I suppose Paul is a diver as well, and, you know, he kind of understands the concept. We, you talk, Like the, the fascinating guys who take you out are great because they're swimmers and they deal with swimmers and they understand the thing. Mm -hmm. The vast majority of skippers their entire business model is based around keeping the paying customer in the boat, not yeah. in the water. And yeah. they don't understand why somebody would want to jump off a boat at the Bull Rock. It's just mm -hmm. stupid, you know? So, so Paul kind of got it because he dived out there and he said, okay, leave it with me. He dealt with, uh, what was it, Dan Patz, I think his name is a local fisherman who's kind of lobster guy. And they kicked it around for a few months and they worked out if you got a particular day on a, in the calendar where a particular type of tidal scenario was happening that they could get you from Bull Rock to the side of Jersey. And then once that happened, you're okay. So the problem is crossing that, that sounds there, you know? Mm. And he said, okay, we'll give it a go. And then of course, COVID interrupted and a few other things happened. But last summer we actually got to try it. Uh, and again, it was another one where they were saying, can we have no idea if this is going to work? Um, but we'll give it a go. Jumped in at Bull Rock in very pushy conditions. It wouldn't normally attempt it in that, but because we we only had, a, I think there was two windows last summer of a day each where it could be attempted. We said, look, you know, we can go today. 
I'm kind of lucky I don't get the motion sickness, seasickness thing that, that some people get. Mm. So I'll swim in lumpier water than, than a lot of people will. And we did it. And that was just amazing. Like we swam from there's sort of the bull, the cow and the calf out there. So Paul had this plan where he was going to shoot me on an incoming side from the bull to the calf or the cow, the middle one. And then once I got to the cow, turn left and like go like crazy for Jersey and try and get in under Jersey to get the shelter and that the tide would be sweeping around behind Jersey and bring me down because I was swimming to the cable car station. Yeah. Uh, and that, and actually it all worked unlike the fastened thing where I suppose I'd say with the fastened thing, not the lad's fault, just the conditions that I kind of made it work just by sticking at it and dogging it out. Whereas with the bull, if Paul, the skipper made it work, like I didn't, by the time I finished, I didn't have a lot left. It was like about 16 K about six hours. But he got everything bang on. So it kind of shot down the side of Jersey at the end and stuff. And if he hadn't got his calculations right, I wouldn't have been able to, because the tides are brutal there. Brutal. Yeah. So that was that was fun. It is notorious, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Ken, how long was that swim from the Bull Rock? So the Bull Rock swim ended up being about six hours, and it was about 15 or 16 K. Um, and again, like Paul O'Rourke from Banshee Bay Tours was just unbelievable as a skipper. He he hadn't done it before. You know, he hadn't dealt with a swimmer like that. Uh, now he's used to having divers in the water and stuff. Uh, and uh, he was amazing. And in fact, the, was it Dan Pats, I think is the local fisherman, uh, got so invested in the, uh, the stupidity of what was going on that he actually went out in a, his lobster boat on the day and was in phone contact with Paul and watching tides for us and actually got rang Paul. We were hanging around the bull rock. Mr. Cleaner was there. My wife, she was my bottle chucker on the day. You know, you got a bottle full of carb drink on at the end of a crab line and she's throwing it at your head so you can feed because yeah. you touch the boat with your little finger at swim over time. And we're hanging around the bull rock and uh, <laughs> are in the third largest gannet breeding colony and they were all dive bombing us. Uh, actually, when I dived in the water at the start, the gannets went bonkers because they were nesting and they were raising chicks at the time and they didn't like me there. So they started dive bombing me with the only things they had available to them were the contents of their bowls oh, and lovely. the seaweed that they were using to build their nests. <laughs> and they were all like, you know, shooting into the water next to me. It was completely insane. Um, but the man, Dan Pass, the fisherman, was out there and, and rang Paul and said, get him in now, get him. He could see the tide was changing. Okay. You know, so without those two guys, I wouldn't have been able to do it. But, you know, it was, I suppose, completely different experience than fastening because I could see everything. And like I was starting from, swim to, from the bull to the cow. I could see the cow. It was looming up at me, then turn left. And I was swimming on the side of the um, Dursey for the whole thing. So it kind of. I was aware, you know, the fastnet. I honestly can't remember pretty much anything about the the fastnet swim while I was doing it. I can't, you know, even afterwards I can remember. Except at one point I swam through the a trawler had gone past us and cleared out its bilges, and I swam through that water, which was unpleasant. I was like, what? It kind of woke me up. What the hell is that? So yeah, that was just an incredible experience. So what's what's next? There's always something literally on the horizon, I think, for a swimmer of your caliber who's clocking up the kilometers. So what's what's next? 
Yeah, I mean, before I get to that, a swimmer of my caliber, I've seen some of the people you've had on this podcast. I love it. It's, it's amazing. And I feel like a bit of a fraud. I got to be honest with you. Because, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not that. Like, I, I train with guys, like friends, like a friend of mine, Dave Burry, as well, he's just done the Bristol Channel last week. Uh, he's done the English Channel, the Catalina Strait. He got within two kilometers of finishing the North Channel. Uh, no, actually, he did the Bristol Channel three weeks ago. And last week, he swam from uh, uh, Europe to Africa, you know, the uh, in the Straits of Gibraltar. And uh, so you should have him on. He's great. So I kind of feel like a bit of a fraud. I'm just a chugger. I'm a diesel engine. You put me in the water and I keep swimming, but nothing special. But uh, what's next? Uh, I do have something in mind, all right. But you probably know that uh, <laughs> from previous experience that uh, swimmers don't like to jinx it. And also, I kind of have a bit of a thing about, well, that hasn't been done. That might be worth to go. Okay. And this one hasn't been done. And uh, I don't you want like to new, be, You uh, like new challenges, obviously, like the fastnet to Crookhaven. You like to find something nobody's done before. Yes. And uh, all I can say is that... The, uh, my days of jumping off boats at lighthouses are over and mm -hmm. this one is completely different uh and it's more of a it's more of an adventure rather than a one-off one-day swim so i'm 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 looking at something all right but it, it is in west cork still so well it starts there anyway so we'll see what happens oh very very interesting i think you gave us a few clues there and ken yeah. would you not um as someone might say cop yourself on and you know go to warmer climbs to do your swims where you don't have to worry about hypothermia as well as everything else yeah i actually did when i was kind of starting out i actually did a, a swim holiday um so i did that with uh with, with strell you know a lot of people know strell or they, uh, they know swim track um and they're great they're really good especially if you're kind of you know you're you can do your lap or two a lock i will say but you're wondering like is there more in me could i go a bit further it's a brilliant confidence builder because I did one when I was kind of maybe two years into it and I was thinking about Galway Bay and I went over and I would say the furthest I'd swam in one session might have been 4K at that point. And by the end of the week, they had a swimming across, you know, from one island to the other in Croatia, 7K, which I looked at it and said, well, that's not going to happen. They said, well, there's plenty of safety boats who pull you out, but you can make it. We've watched you all week. Just get your head down. It's really this this thing is all about like building up slowly and uh confidence, building your confidence in the water, you know. And like I know you swim in Loch Ine, uh that's gotta be one of the best places in the world for, for this, and especially for training. You see, you're totally spoiled in Loch Ine though, Ken, because it's never you know, mm -hmm. like um a gentle wave is about as rough as it ever gets down there. Yeah. So it's not a great, it's a great training ground. Although it's, it serves Steve Redmond very well, I know. But it is yeah. very much, it spoils you. I mean, we're going up to Killery now soon. And um, that that's can be a horse of a different yeah. color altogether. So. Yeah, that, that's an amazing swim. I mean, like the two places I swim in the most are Kalini. That's where we train in Dublin. Uh, like I'm, I'm in a group and they're all better swimmers than me, thank God. And... You know, we we do this a really uh, fun swim actually, where we get in the Kalani Beach and we swim past Needle Jordan's house and Sorrento Terrace, you know, uh, through the uh, Docky Sound and up to the Forty Foot, and you can only do that on a you know on a, on a filling tide because it's mm. the Docky Sound is notorious. You know, only swimming through that, but you just shoot up and there's like thousands of seals and 
you know, there's basically loads of people sitting on, you know, Docky Harbour eating ice creams, watching you swimming past them and stuff. And then my other favourite place to swim is Barry Gulf. Just again, that's I still go down there as much as I can. Uh, and but after after, I mean, definitely Loch Eyne to me is is paradise because you've got, especially for training, like if you're you know trying to build up those Ks, like you've got the calm of a lake or a swimming pool, but you're in the sea. And God, I love it. You know, I love it. I really love swimming in Loch Eyne. You know. Well, don't tell too many people about it because we don't want them. Not a word. Not a word. <laughs> but one other, just a, on a closing note, I know you do. Uh, there's a nice little swim down that I did once, the Devil's Rock swim from Tony yeah. Beach, I think. And yeah. um, you've done it from Barley Cove too. And that's a nice little one for yeah. someone who only wants to do two or three K. I think it's like yes. six or something, is it? Yeah. It's like, it depends if you're doing it from Bardico, where I go from, uh, because there's such a tidal range on the beach, like, you know, yourself, if the tide goes out, you got a four times more beach. It's, it's even at high tide, it's less than 2k. Uh, for that one, I swim by myself a lot. It doesn't bother me, uh, but only in places that I know and when I know what's going on with the tide. Bays are great because as long as you're doing it on an incoming tide or slack water to an incoming tide, then you're not going anywhere. The water's only going one way. That gets a little bit spooky, that one. It's, it's quite deep once you, once you leave the sand, you know. There's mm -hmm. a lot of seal action around there. You know, I'd recommend for people starting, you know, if starting out or trying to up their distances and they want to do kind of longer swims like that, you're supposed to swim parallel to the shore and not all of that. And I, I totally get it. But you do have to kind of get into deeper water and get yourself used to that as well do it with somebody else. Uh, and ideally, if it's the first time going out to somewhere like Devil's Rock, it might be any harm to have a kayak in the vicinity yeah. just for a bit of security, you know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, I think and at all times, someone who has access to a phone is always a good thing to have with you and it's not always possible yeah. when you're in the water. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, well, listen, on that note, I will thank you very much and uh, best of luck with the Mystery Swim and you might come back and talk to us about that when it's all done. We'll see if we can pull it off, but I'd be very happy to do it. Thanks very much, Vaughn. Thanks.